Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the City of Peoria Planning and Zoning Commission meeting of August 2nd, 2012. We'll start with roll call of commissioners. Commissioner Golden? Here. Commissioner Strickman? Present. Commissioner Loper? Here. Commissioner Spraker? Here. Commissioner Sweeney? Here. Commissioner Marr? Here. And I'm Commissioner Lewis. Next up is our opening statement from staff. Thank you. This commission is composed of Peoria citizens who have been appointed by the City Council to serve on the commission as a civic responsibility without compensation. Our duty is to study and review planning and zoning issues within the City of Peoria and then forward our recommendation on to the City Council. All hearings are conducted in accordance with the Rules for Procedure and Robert's Rules of Order. Each case will be called in the order in which it appears on the agenda unless otherwise announced during the meeting. In the interest of maintaining a fair and efficient hearing, the commission adheres to the following steps. The chair will call the case. The staff will then give a brief report and recommendation, followed by the applicant who then gives a presentation. Then opposition and support gives testimony, generally limited to three minutes per speaker. Then the applicant may give rebuttal and finally commission discussion and decision. Anyone wishing to speak must complete a speaker's request form and hand it to the planning assistant on my right. Please be as brief as possible and do not repeat statements already made by others. All commission recommendations on public hearing items move forward to a regular city council meeting. The city council will then act on the recommendation of the commission. They may concur with the decision, modify it, or overturn it. We welcome citizens' comments, and as fellow citizens of Peoria, we thank you in advance for your participation. Thank you, Chris. And just a reminder, anybody wishes to speak on any items tonight, please fill out a speaker request form and turn it into Beverly down at the end on here. Thank you. On our agenda under new business, next up is the consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are generally routine in nature or have been previously reviewed by this commission. All the items on the consent agenda will be enacted by one motion. Tonight's consent agenda consists of four items. Item 1C is disposition of absence of Commissioner Sweeney and Golden from the July 5th, 2012 meeting, the minutes from the July 5th meeting. Item 3C is a request for a conditional use permit CU 12-0006, requested by Piazza on behalf of Dutch Brothers Coffee to allow for an outdoor dining patio in conjunction with a future coffee shop on the, north, or on the southwest corner of 83rd Avenue and Thunderbird. And item 4C is also a request for a conditional use permit, CU 12-0007, also requested by Piazza on behalf of Apriza Mexican Cuisine to allow for an outdoor dining patio in conjunction with a future Mexican restaurant on the southwest corner of 83rd Avenue and Thunderbird. We have those four items on our consent agenda. Do I have a motion? Mr. Chairman. Commissioner Sweeney. Make a motion we approve the agenda as read. Thank you. Do we have a second? Second. Commissioner Loper, thank you. We have a motion and a second. Please vote. And that item passes unanimously. Thank you. If there's anyone here from Piazza, Dutch Brothers, or Apriza, we've concluded your items and they have passed. Congratulations. Moving on to the regular agenda under new business, item 5R. This is a public hearing on a request for a special use permit, case Z11-0007. I'll open the public hearing and we'll start with a report from staff. Thank you, Chairman Lewis and members of the commission. Uh, the subject property is located east of the 115th Avenue alignment, which is the western edge of the corporate limits of the city of Peoria, um, east, oh, sorry, west of the Suncliff subdivision, and between Northern Avenue, which is on the south of the project, and Olive Avenue uh, on the north. 
The project area is approximately 127 acres and as noted, this request is for a special use permit for an inert reclamation facility. The site was annexed in December of 1977 and the mining use, which is currently operating on this site, was established in the mid to late, teen, mid to late 1970s. In 2007, the site was defined as a legal non-conforming or grandfathered use by the city. In 1988, the site was rezoned to PAD to support a mix of residential and industrial, light industrial uses. 29 acres of the site is light industrial in the southwest corner. Surrounding zoning is RM1 in Suncliff, which is a multifamily zoning to the north and east, and R16 single family zoning to the east. Both of these areas are developed as single family residential. Maricopa County Industrial is located to the west in which a separate uh, mine operates, a separate user. And to the south is the city of Glendale's landfill, which is zoned A1 agriculture. The general plan map shows that all areas within the city are noted as medium density residential, and that reflects what the PAD is supporting for most of the site as well. The ordinance defines a special use permit as an overlay zoning district, which permits potentially impactful uses that don't conform to traditional use groupings. These are unique uses with unique impacts. These uses are subject through the ordinance by specific restrictions, standards, and safeguards to promote compatibility with nearby uses. Special use permits can be stipulated to expire or they may exist in perpetuity. The special use request is for an inert land reclamation. Depositing inert fill is a method of mine reclamation that is typically part of a plan submitted to and approved by the state mining inspector. This use is also known as an inert landfill. However, it is distinctly not a typical landfill, such as the Glendale landfill. This facility will only accept inert materials as defined by Arizona's revised statutes. It will not accept um, construction debris, wood, landscaping materials, household waste, toxic or contaminated waste, or biodegradable materials. It will, it will be restricted to rock, sand, soil, concrete, asphalt, and brick. These materials will be insured in two ways. An incoming materials log will be kept and submitted to the city for review on an annual basis. Operationally, if non-compliant materials are discovered at the entry, it will be directed to the appropriate facility, such as the Glendale Landfill. If non-compliant materials are found after they have been dumped, the operator will sort those materials, place them in a dumpster, and have them sent to the appropriate facility. Ultimately, those are two checks that they have to make sure that only the qualified materials make it into the site. This site will be divided into six phases, which each is about 10 to 21 acres in size. On average, it'll take about five years to fill each phase, and this, and this is based upon current delivery volumes from nearby sites. If the economy continues to work its way to improvement, this could be shortened, but as of now, the permit would be set for 30 years and expire after 30 years. Um, the site will be filled generally from the south, working counterclockwise to the north, and then finally ending at phase six. The reason for this is that on phase six, they will be putting their crusher. And this location is the furthest point from residential um, uses on the site, and this will keep the crusher at the furthest distance from residential throughout the duration of the project. The use has the potential to generate many impacts, some very unique, some common. Noise, light, and traffic are typically, typically expected impacts for the most intense uses. Dust, land subsidence due to improper filling, visual impacts, and water aquifer impacts, and other characteristics that must be considered and addressed for this use. 
So mining is active and occurring on the site today. The applicant has agreed to gradually phase out the mining use as each phase of the site is filled. Additionally, the mining will be subject to the same operational standards as the filling activity. Being that it's a grandfathered use, right now the mine is not subject to any standards other than city code requirements such as noise compliance. But now with this review and this um, approval, it would be able, it would be restricted to a lot of the standards that I'm going to list off next, such as the hours of operation. The days that the, uh, of operation will be limited to Monday through Saturday and closed on Sundays. Hours of operation will be tailored to prevent evening and nighttime disruptions. In the summer months, May through September, the hours will be 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. The remainder of the year, the hours will be shifted by an hour forward, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Absolutely no activity will occur on this on-site outside of these days and hours. Noise is to be mitigated via location and berming. A 25-foot berm will be located between the crusher and the Suncliff subdivision, and a four-foot berm will be located between the entry drive where the vehicles come into the site along Northern Avenue and Suncliff subdivision. These noise sources are both located over 1,000 feet from the nearest residential properties, and the applicant indicates that they will comply with all city noise standards. Light will be minimally used on site, limited to down facing and primarily used for security around the mobile office. Dust will be managed via frequent watering, enforcements through the Maricopa County Air Quality Department, and this is typical for these types of uses. Traffic management is important to ensure the comfort and safety for residents of the Suncliff subdivision and adjacent residential areas. The applicant will be informing all customers of appropriate truck routes, which include Northern Avenue and Olive Avenue, shown in green, and 91st Avenue, um, and I'm sorry, and truck traffic will be prohibited from 111th Avenue, which is shown in red. The nearest north-south truck route is either 91st Avenue or the Loop 101, which is a couple miles to the east. Access to the site will be solely from Northern Avenue. Butler Avenue tees into the site, but no access will be permitted to Butler Avenue as it is a residential collector. This does not preclude the opportunity for Butler to be extended into the site in future redevelopment, but it will not be part of this project. The neighborhood expressed some concerns regarding vehicle stacking and traffic impacts on Northern Avenue. Approximately four 45-foot-long vehicles can stack in the 200-foot stacking area between Northern Avenue right-of-way line and the modular office building. And I've illustrated those in the teal blue color on the right-hand side. That's the entryway in. The access drive shown on the left is the exit out of the site. Based on traffic projections, this is not expected to be a, um, expects, it's, based on traffic projections, it's, it's expected that this will be adequate stacking for the use and it will not impact traffic on the Northern Avenue. As was noted earlier, when completed, this fill will not exceed to the original grade of the property. So it will only be filled to what it was prior to its mind conditioned. To further reinforce this um, appearance of a pre-mine condition, the top, two layer, the top two feet of the fill will be composed of materials that are typical of natural desert, sand, soil, and um, it will be designed so that it will be compatible with the typical desert view, be able to support low water use um, vegetation. The entire site will be compacted to 85% compaction, which supports parking, parks, and storage uses. Over time, this land will naturally compact further to a greater percentage, which should be able to support vertical construction, such as housing and businesses. 
The mining uses and the reclamation uses are not subject to standard landscaping requirements through the special use overlay. Staff has worked with the petitioner to find solutions that are similar to the ordinance requirements, but respect the size of the project and impacts. 156 trees are proposed along the east property line, shown in green, and they will be planted at a lower grade elevation than the Suncliff subdivision and will principally obscure the view of the pits and aid in noise and dust control. So I'm gonna go back a slide. And you can see that they, a couple trees are illustrated here um, at a mature um, height that they would typically be below the average grade of where the housing is. So it should preserve most of the view to the White Take Mountains. The applicant has pledged to work with the neighbors who wish to have fully unrestricted views of the White Take Mountains to the, further to the west by moving landscaping away from those houses and then locating it where um, residents would prefer to have enhanced screening into their front of their house. Regardless, 156 trees will be planted along that buffer. Landscaping is also proposed to be along the Northern Avenue frontage to improve the appearance of the frontage, obscure the pits, and then aid in dust and noise control. Arizona uh, Department of Environmental Quality does not issue permits for inert landfills because the materials typically do not leach, contaminate, leach or contaminate water supplies. However, if non-compliant materials make it into the pit and contaminate water supplies, monitoring wells will be required on the site until the violation can be identified and resolved. Failing to keep non-compliant materials out of the fill would be detrimental to the applicant and be cause for AZDEQ enforcement and potential revocation of the special use permit. The applicant is requesting an exempt well on the premises in their narrative. The water would be used for dust suppression. The city does not approve of the use of the exempt well and recommends a condition prohibiting it. Alternatives for water exist through nearby fire hydrant access and nearby reclaimed water sources at 99th and Northern. It would be atypical to have a new exempt well be approved within the city of Peoria. There were two neighborhood meetings held. One was on December 8th, 2011. At that time, the landfill was proposed to accept inert materials and construction debris. There were fewer use restrictions proposed and the conceptual future land use plan for the site suggested industrial and business park uses throughout the site. 22 residents attended them voiced concerns over the accepted materials, traffic, noise, and the future reuse plan among many other items. After much review and many revisions, the applicant held a second neighborhood meeting on June 14th of this year. The applicant introduced a new use standards, largely similar to the final conditions provided today, and limited the acceptable materials solely to inert materials. The conceptual reuse plan was amended to reflect the base zoning on the parcel. That was the residential and light industrial that was approved in 1988. 12 residents attended that meeting and expressed some cautiousness and concern for the project but there was no overt objections. The public was notified um, in accordance with codes when the application was received and prior to the hearing. Approximately 50 phone calls have been received, most at the very beginning of the process. Most of them were inquiries. Um, there was a very few objections. 12 emails and letters were received, five of which were objections to the use, seven were inquiries, and one offered mild support with the use of proper use controls. Peoria Unified School District also provided comments regarding traffic and safety with regards to nearby Country Meadows School. The school district also commented on the, on the viability of reuse with the proposed compaction levels. 
Staff feels that the traffic will be properly managed and the proposed compaction is suitable for the site. Staff finds that the proposed special use will have sufficient performance and operational standards to prevent adverse impacts to adjacent residential properties. The grandfather mining use will be brought into current standards via the closure plan and the landscaping buffer, which will promote compatibility between adjacent land uses. The proposed special use will facilitate the reuse of the subject property in accordance with the general plan and adopted PAD for the subject site. The proposal will advance the city's goals and objectives by facilitating the eventual development of the employment uses that would increase the jobs to housing ratio and expand the city's industrial base. And the proposal will advance the city's goals and objectives by facilitating the eventual infill development of an underutilized site. With that, staff recommends approval of the case Z110007, subject to the conditions within the staff report, and I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you, Ed. Do we have any questions from commissioners of staff? Mr. Chairman. Commissioner Loper. A couple, I actually had a number of questions that, that may get addressed, so I'll just ask a couple of them now. One is, you said the site was annexed in 1977. It was sometime around that time when the, uh, the uh, mining operation began. When were the homes, uh, when did homes actually begin development in that, that adjacent neighborhood? Do we know? Do we know when that was platted? I, I believe it was in the late 80s, late or 80s. early, mid 80s. But the mining operation was clearly there, or most likely there when the homes started. That is correct. Okay. And, um, and there, there is, I read the staff report and heard your presentation, there's not a reuse plan, um, which is atypical, on file for what would otherwise happen with this facility when they're done mining it, correct? That is correct. So it, it otherwise could just be a pit if this wasn't going to be proposed tonight. That's correct. All right, that's it for now. Thank you. Any other questions from commissioners? Uh, Commissioner Spraker. Uh, I'm familiar with the area. Is there a, any possibility that uh, during one of these 500-year rainstorms, what have you, that we're going to have, because it's pretty much into the Agua Fria riverbed, that we're going to have any flooding come down through the river? And even though this is uh, a non-polluting types of landfill, that we would potentially have that taking place in the area, or is there a provision to prevent that? that's uh, designated as a floodplain area along with several other um, sites in, uh, around it. And typically we allow certain type of uh, development within the floodplain, not the floodway, provided certain provisions are made with, say, elevating the building or protecting outlets as such. So yes, it is in an area where flooding could occur during that certain event, but we require certain items to be done, cert certain, um, I guess, uh, procedures, if there's any type of building or for, for safety reasons with respect to flooding or respect to um, electrical components being exposed. I, I guess my, my, my question has more to do with um, um, for the most part, you're probably going to have temporary buildings, a trailer or some such thing as that, that you're going to have one or two feet above the proposed flood stage and what have you, a, a 500 or a 1,000 year flood, whatever. But my question has more to do with 
uh, if we have one of these large uh, storms, such as they had in Anthem and washed out a bunch of houses and what have you, what provisions are made in the riverbed that if in fact, as a result of the berms that you're gonna be putting in, and uh, the, I guess one is a 25 foot berm, another one's a four foot berm in the front, you're, you're act, you actually, you're putting something in the floodway, which would be other than just your housing or your equipment, you're, you're putting uh, in effect small dams uh, in the floodways. So my question is, is if it floods, we have a large storm. And years ago, I remember, I think it was in Indian school, the bridge you know, floated away. Uh, and I'm just curious about what provisions are made that in effect, if one of these storms comes, and if you've got these uh, berms in place, what happens to the water? We make just a huge lake that potentially rises another four feet in depth or whatever, I don't know, just to Understand. There are certain ways this could be developed as far as the filling of the, the, the inert material to maybe start on one end and, and fill towards the, the north. Um, there, there are certain provisions. Building a berm along the front is a good example. If you're trying to, I guess, protect some of the material that's in there. But this is an, an area where, where we understand there's a, a vast majority of flow going through. It's not like right on the edge of the bank. It's more of overland flow if, if the, if the um, river's completely inundated. And so it's more of a, a reach, not where there's a large amount of flow going through. Because most of the majority of the flow is down the center and it heads due south. Um. Let me phrase this correctly. As, as I understand it, the contours of this pit were never, uh, there were very few regulations covering it because it's grandfathered and comes from way back in the 70s. But in as much as that you're going in, you're modifying it, you're gonna be changing it. You'll be planting trees, you're gonna be putting in the sound berms and what have you. Um, is there provisions within the text of the 127 acres now in terms, in particular, in terms to Suncliffs, is that um, the operations are moved a certain distance from those as opposed to saying we grow up the property line and we, we're gonna dig down there or fill in that what area. I'm just simply concerned about what these dams that are going in, the berms, the sound berms, what have you, that you raise the level of water and you potentially have, and if you're too close to the property lines, you potentially have problem with the homes that are there. And I, I think that's probably more to the point. Yeah, I apologize for not including a diagram of the flood zones in the staff report or uh, in the exhibits here, but I can illustrate for you on the image I have on the screen. Um, the, Ag the Agua Fria River is actually quite a bit to the west uh, of this site, probably another half mile. Um, this mine site itself would be essentially, this is, I guess, the bank of uh, the east bank of the Agua Fria. And there's a flood zone that leads through here and goes through this general area of the site. The remainder of this site is not considered to be in a flood zone based on that map. Now, from my understanding, that map was created prior to the mining of this site. So it was anticipating the pre-mine um, pre condition flood areas. So um, yes, there's gonna be a concern with how water is handled um, during the filling process, and that would be something that would be addressed with the engineering division through the grading and drainage plans that are be, to be submitted. Um, but even with final grading, it would be similar, if not the same, as what it was prior to, fill, um, prior to mining, which would be 
compliant with what that original flood zone showed. So, you know, take it for what the flood maps show, you know, and it, it was literally, you know, this very small part of the southern half of the site that was subject to that flood area. The remainder was outside of that. So it would be minimally affecting the site even in the final condition. So we're not gonna see any homes or bridges or pioneer <laughs> materials floating down the river in a big storm. I, I don't anticipate that. Really. <laughs> That's all I have, thank you. Any other questions of staff by commissioners? Commissioner Golden. Um, you said there were two public public meetings, one in December, I think, and one in June. And um, twenty-two, the first, and twelve, the second. And and you thought the the um, the concerns that were addressed in December, the items that that were brought up in December, many of those had been addressed by the June meeting, and so the temperament of that meeting was different. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I mean, this is based on my perception. It appeared as if the temperament had changed. It wasn't um, quite so objecting, uh, objecting quite as strongly to it. But, you know, being that it is a public hearing, I mean, some, some members of the public might like to com comment on that directly about how they feel about the proposal. And the applicant, I think, would be a good resource to comment and see how they felt how the meetings went as well. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions of staff? Commissioner Spraker, um, just for my own information, um, when you dump asphalt into an inner landfill, um, asphalt is largely tar and stone, uh, the oil product and stone. Is there any a possibility that, uh, or is the kind of asphalt that's to be dumped in uh, specified? For an example, you can dump in large sheets of it like we see them tear up in the streets and what have you but there are some instances where the asphalt is ground out of the uh, out of the uh, giving up uh, parking lot or what have you and now what we have is something that is not just a big sheet of uh, asphalt but rather small defined pieces some as small as the pieces of sand and like rock and what have you and that would seem to be potentially uh, having um, some ground pollution possibilities to it. Uh, has that been looked into it? And I guess it goes to staff, I don't know. Well, oh, I was gonna say, from what I, from what I would understand, there are certain compaction requirements, even, even on a lift, that would have to be adhered to. So even with those materials, there's so much compaction um, after a certain amount of lifts that, that has to take place before the next lift goes in place so it's not just continual dumping it's actually compacting and dumping at the you know uh, one afternoon not, not simultaneously so I don't know if that answered your question well not really the question is this is that if if we have a tar and stone composite which would which would be the uh, the asphalt and we grind it up into small pieces is there potential when it does rain or we get some water in there that these smaller pieces or some of the oil products in it can leach into the ground as opposed to a bigger piece where it's not gonna happen because it's so much larger and dense. So the question is, when we talk about inner landfill and we talk about bringing in asphalt, uh, has it been looked at in terms of the ground asphalt that's being dumped in, into, the, uh, into the pit and if 
there is the possibility of uh, pooling or a rain because you're going to have a hole that you're going to be filling and then you're going to compact it after you get so much into it. Can, can these small pieces uh, of um, um, petroleum products leach into the ground because they are so small as opposed to large pieces? I don't know. It's just the question. Well, Commissioner Spreaker, um, when, we, when, we, when staff did this review, we depended upon the guidance of the revised statutes, Arizona revised statutes. Um, which are enforced by Arizona Department of Environmental Quality. And this is one of those items that they believe are qualifying materials, inert materials, that will not cause or pose that problem. So we deferred our judgment to the expert um, opinion of those departments. So I guess we're saying yeah. then, regardless of the state of the asphalt, that there's no potential for leaching of uh, petroleum products into the ground. That's how we're basing our review at this point. But we don't know. Like I said, we're depending upon the AZDEQ's qualifications. And the only reason I ask is this, is that you know, I think this is a grand idea to, to <laughs> fill up a hole in the ground and use the property end down the line. The problem is if you don't address the stuff right up front, and before we start dumping in all of the stuff, and then down the line we make a mistake, then you've got to go back and put in these monitoring wells, and we've got to have, well, uh, like a property that was at uh, 55th Avenue just north of Union Hills. They have to go in and excavate it, take it all out again so we can clean up the mess. So my, I guess my question is, is if we knew about the finely ground asphalt that it does or doesn't leach, then we've done our homework up front. We don't have a future problem, and 30 years is a long time. Right. I would recommend that maybe the petitioner could lend some information regarding that. I mean, it is their responsibility to ensure that the site performs properly um, so that they don't run into any issues with revocation of their permits or um, penalties from the state. So perhaps posing that question to them can help us clarify the answer. So what does that mean from here then? <laughs> No, I mean, I asked the yeah. question. I mean, yeah. do, we, do we come back? I, I don't want to have to hold up anything, but it's a question. At least to me, it's important. Commissioner Spraker, I would recommend that we allow the applicant to come up and, and attempt to address some of these questions as well. Right, good. Thank you. I was just going to suggest the same thing. The, is the applicant here? One more question. Commissioner Moore, go ahead. Um, who is responsible for ongoing compliance if this special use is uh, granted? Which which agency, which oversight? Who who are, are which agency is responsible for oversight if this special use is granted? Um, Commissioner Mar, the city of Peoria is the responsible agency for the special use permit, and. We're, we have those conditions listed in the special use permit, and if any of those are violated via however we become notified of the, or become aware of the issue, uh, that is an opportunity for the revocation process to be put into place. There is no on, ongoing inspection by, by the city or we any, do reserve any other agency? We do reserve the right to inspect the site through code enforcement um, process. Um, the applicant is also required to provide us with annual reports so that we can verify the proper materials are going into the site. And I'm, um, those are our mechanisms that we have in place at this point, um, unless, um, as one condition states, that if there is any downstream contamination noticed, 
then the monitoring wells and other uh, process would be put into place. So that's pretty much the process at this point. Thank you. Can we ask the applicant to come up to the microphone up here? I, I know several commissioners probably have some questions, as I do. <clears throat> if you would state your name and address for the record, I appreciate it. Uh, happy to do so. My name is Paul Gilbert, uh, 4800 North Scottsdale Road. Uh, I'm representing the applicant, and uh, some of these questions are a little technical, and, and my, my view is more broad-based, but I can take a stab at it. I would like to make an initial couple of observations, if I might, Mr. Chairman, as part of our presentation. Please do, Mr. Gilbert. Thank you. Uh, first of all, uh, Ed, that was a terrific report. Um, my client's just beaming back there because it just saved him half my fee tonight because uh, the report was so thorough. And uh, I think you need to focus on the fact that two things are important as we reason together here. You've got a big mining operation with a deep hole that is virtually unregulated. It's there as a non-conforming use. There are no regulations on it whatsoever. Secondly, um, my client has been working with your staff for over a year to come forward with a plan that protects both the adjacent property owners and the city and the public in general. We've spent an entire year formulating this plan. We are regulated by 27 stipulations, which is a lot of stipulations. And we are in agreement with every single one of those stipulations. It's very unusual, as you all know, particularly in a project of this nature and this magnitude involving 127 acres for the applicant to agree with all 27 stipulations. Let me clear up one thing. Uh, we did ask to have the perpetuation of the exempt well on our property Staff has indicated they are not in favor of that. They've put that in the stipulations. We have agreed. So that is no longer part of our application. Let me talk about the neighborhood meetings. I was there at both of them. Um, there were a lot of questions asked, particularly at the first meeting. Uh, a lot of concerns and, frankly, a lot of suggestions. We went back to the drawing board and together with your staff, who were also in attendance at the meeting, heard everything we did. And we made a lot of changes to the application based on that meeting. Then we had a second meeting, came back and proposed these changes. And um, we even picked up a few more suggestions at the second neighborhood meeting and we've incorporated those into our narrative and uh, they are part and parcel of the special use permit that is before you now. Let me just point out just a few of the major changes. First of all, we've agreed to inert material only. That is a significant concession. I point out to you that right across the street on the south side of Northern is our neighbor, the friendly landfill of Glendale. No such restriction. They can take all kinds of materials there. We have limited ours just to inert material. Inert material, by and large, has been deemed by ADEQ to be non-polluting material, 
and that includes asphalt. So ADEQ doesn't require that we get a permit if we tenaciously and carefully focus on inert material only. We have done that. I think that gave a lot of comfort uh, to many of the neighbors who attended our meetings. And frankly, I think it gave a lot of comfort to your staff. Uh, and I submit, maybe just my observation, but I think it's one of the reasons we stand here in the posture with a very positive recommendation, recommendation for approval from them. Secondly, we've agreed to put landscaping in the form of trees all along our eastern border. And we've gone further than that. Some of the neighbors don't, don't want them, and some do. We're going to work out a procedure with the staff where we go visit the neighbors. They get to choose one of three trees or no trees, uh, and we'll work with them. And that's all along the border. That's a tremendous landscape buffer and visual barrier to the hole that is there now. Uh, additionally, we've agreed to do sound attenuation measures. Other than your city ordinance, there are no sound attenuation measures now on the mining operation. Uh, we've agreed to limit the hours of the operation. The mining operation can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We not only are going to limit our operation to Monday through Saturday, and the hours you've heard about in the summer, it'll be from three to, see, got that wrong, from six until three. And then uh, in the non-summer hours, it'll be from seven to four. So <clears throat> when people are home at night, and we don't think there's gonna be a sound problem, but if there is, we're not in operation there. Sound travels more at night, we've agreed to stop. The current mining operation, it can go 24 hours a day, round the clock with no restrictions. Um, we've also agreed to a 100-foot setback. So when the mining operation can go right up and mine right up next to the border of the property. We've agreed to a 100-foot setback. Now, 50 of that is on our property. 50 we pick up because it's owned partially by the Homeowners Association and partially by the city, but there's a 100-foot buffer there where we won't be doing any landfill. No such restriction with regard to the mining operation. Uh, we've agreed to traffic restrictions. There was a real concern about 111th Avenue. Uh, that was one of the very positive, salutary things that came out of the meeting we had with the neighborhood. And we've agreed that we will prohibit any of our trucks from using 111th Avenue. Now, you may say, because you've been in this business for a while now, how in the world are you going to enforce that? First of all, we are going to put it in our contracts so that the trucks that come have to certify that they did not enter the premises from 111th Avenue. If they did, we will not accept their material. That takes care of the problem in a real big hurry. Secondly, we are... Uh, very willing, if, we, if, if that isn't enough, we're very willing to cooperate with the city with some type of signage pro program prohibiting truck traffic, excuse me, on 111th Avenue. We're committed to ensure that there's no truck traffic on 111th Avenue, which takes care 
of, I think, the only real significant traffic concern we had. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about, and I think this is very important, this um, special use permit applies clearly to the landfill operation. I don't mean to pit nit pick nits with you here, but the mining operation isn't subject to that special use permit. So it doesn't have to comply with any of these restrictions. Guess what? We have agreed and suggested of our own volition that we would apply all of the restrictions from the special use permit to the mining operation. So you have these protections going forward, not only for the landfill, but for the mining operation itself. Sound attenuation, traffic restrictions, landscaping, hours of operation, all will apply to the mining operation, which is literally not restricted at this time. So we feel we've made a very good effort over this past year to work through the issues and work through the problems and we're here in the posture with a very positive staff recommendation for approval. Now, uh, let me attempt to address the question on the asphalt from Commissioner Spraker. Uh, okay. All right, I'm going to read this. Uh, I hope it's accurate, <laughs> but uh, my planner just pointed out to me that the asphalt is crushed and sold. 99% of it is not, does not remain in the facility. So I think that takes care of a concern that you have. Um, and then... Excuse me, Mr. Gilbert, I didn't understand what you said. Uh, the asphalt... I'm not listening or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I read it, so it probably didn't come with the same force as if I had not. Uh, the asphalt is crushed at the premises, but then we sell that off. So very little of it stays in the landfill. Secondly, though, and more importantly, we're, <clears throat> we're regulated by two entities, ADEQ and County Flood Control. Okay. ADEQ does not require for an inert landfill any permits. Inert landfills are allowed to have asphalt. If it were a problem, I suspect ADEQ would have some type of permitting process. So the fact that they don't require a permit, I think, confirms that this is not going to be a problem. Furthermore, the concern about flooding and that somehow we will be in the aquifer or that, that there will be flooding incurred because of the landfill. I want to talk about the fact that we have to submit a grading and drainage report to the city. Ed mentioned that. So you have full control to make sure that we're complying with the proper grading and drainage. Incidentally, I hate to always point out what a bad thing the mining operation is, but there's no control over that. You have no, virtually no control. With this special use permit, you've got us tied down to a grading and drainage plan that we have to submit. 
Then importantly, at the end, 30 years from now, when the landfill is completely filled, we have to do a final report to make sure that we'll have no adverse impact on the adjacent homes. Thirdly, we're not in the area where the flooding occurs. There is a whole section, focus on that, a whole section of land, a whole section immediately to our west that is a sand and gravel mining operation. That's where the water flows. That's the main area of activity. So we're, we're, we're a little bit off to the side and don't really pick up a lot of that uh, flooding uh, traffic. Well, you, you answered the question, at least uh, to my satisfaction, relative to crushing the asphalt and, and, and selling it um, uh, so that it, it doesn't become a potential problem. However, it could be placed in the landfill, as we're talking about, and left because it's an approved um, inert material uh, per se. Uh, may I, Mr. Chairman, I have a couple more questions? Uh, you mentioned early on, uh, right after you got up, that there was a 100-foot setback from the Suncliff development, of which roughly 50 feet belonged to the uh, Homeowners Association. Or the city. Pardon me? Or the city. Some of it's city-owned, some of it's homeowners. And, and the other 50 feet was from Part. this particular parcel or parcels. And uh, you, you had no intention of doing anything within that 50 feet that uh, the, the, the uh, subject would own. My you question is, if, if, there's, if there's been mining, as you mentioned earlier on, right up the property lines because it was unregulated in 1977, and if, if there were pits that are built up so that uh, within that 50 feet, uh, so that you really don't have 50 feet plus 50 feet, um, I'm presuming that you're going to have to fill that anyway, so you would have some activity there. Yeah. The <clears throat> fortuitously for us, and why I can make that commitment, is the mining operation has not gone into that 50-foot area yet. So we can preserve that. And in some cases, it's much more than 50 feet. But a minimum of 50 feet has not been mined, so we can make that commitment once we close Eshko and own the property, we can ensure that the mining doesn't take place there. Does, Thank that, you. does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank, Thank you. Commissioner Member of Wonderful uh, Staff can, uh, uh, Commissioner Spraker. Uh, we read the revi Arizona Revised Statute 49 uh, uh, 70115. It actually governs the material allowable for an inert uh, landfill. The asphalt's not explicitly called out. What actually the statute uh, explains is that it's materials that are subject to a leachate test are allowable. So again, it's the asphalt millings, which is what you've uh, expressed concern about. If they cannot pass a leachate test, it would not be allowed to actually be placed in the, into the, uh, the site. Yeah, what the staff report says it's, it's typical material. So again, if, if the larger sheets can pass a leachate test and are allowable, but the asphalt millings, which is what you expressed concern, which has been pulverized, if that cannot patch a leachate test uh, as, as defined in the statutes, then it would not be allowed in the site. By the way, no one would be more motivated than we are. If we get stuck with monitoring wells, wow. That's something we will avoid at all costs. Thank you, Mr. Gilbert. My pleasure. Any other commissioners have questions or comments? Yes, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Moore. How, 
how long do you, do you anticipate the mining to continue? Is that going to go on for the 30-year period? Or? No, uh, that's a hard thing. I anticipated that question. I checked before the hearing tonight, and, and I can't give you a precise answer. Uh, you saw the phasing plan, uh, but uh, a good deal of the mining further north is already complete. Uh, so it's hard to put an exact answer on that. All I can tell you is that as the landfill comes in, obviously the mining operation will start. But I'm not hiding the ball on this. The, the mining operation will continue. It will just be very restricted and having to adhere to the same standards as the special use permit landfill. I noted some of the neighbors uh, said that uh, the, the light from the mining was a, a, oh, an issue with them, yeah. and I assume with, with these new hours that that wouldn't be would an not, issue. Would not be a problem. Furthermore, we don't need much lighting there. All we need is some low-level security lighting, so we don't intend to have. I've been to mining operations, and I've seen these great big high poles with the bright light shining down. We're not, we don't need that, and we won't be doing that. Okay. And we, we put that in our narrative as well. Any other commissioners have questions? Yes, I have a question. Um, when you're talking about the mining and what's going on, if this was not, if this conditional use permit was not granted, mm -hmm. what would happen? I mean, what is, what would be going on if this was not granted? Well, uh, that's a very easy question to answer. Uh, my clients have the property in escrow, so they don't own it. If if this special use permit is not granted, then the current owners will continue mining, and the mining activity will step up over what it is now. And it's my understanding that because it is grandfathered in, there would still not be any restrictions on the mining activity. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay, thank you. Any other questions of the applicant? Thank you, Mr. Gilbert. I, I have a couple that I would like to ask. I, um, when I first read the report, um, you know, I always look at these things as a resident of the city of Peoria and a homeowner, and if this was in my backyard, and I think all of us do that, and we kind of apply that thought process to our review before we right. come to these hearings. And, and I went through, and I, as most of the commissioners probably did, I read all the emails and the results from the meetings that you had, and most of the questions that I would have had got answered um, and, and I applaud you for that. You, you guys really did a lot of work, looks like, to reconcile the concerns of the people who live there. Um, and and that's, that's a great thing that we did that. Could you just kind of briefly, though, explain to me how this operation would work? I think I know most of it. A truck would come in, there'd be a gate, and there'd be an inspector or somebody, and they'd fill out a log. But what happens at that point, after that? Okay. Let, me, let me, if it isn't too pedantic and too long, since I think I'm the last case, maybe I can give you a little more detail on this. What happens is the access is limited to Northern Avenue. No access from Olive, no access from Butler, the midpoint whatsoever. So the only access comes from Northern. When the trucks come in, because of a concern that we would block traffic on Northern, and Northern and I know at least one of your councilmen is opposed to the Northern Parkway, but assuming the Northern Parkway takes place, that's going to be a very heavily trafficked uh, thoroughfare. 
So what we've done is we've got a, a queuing area that'll allow four to five trucks, and if that won't do it, we'll expand it. So no truck will have to park on Northern. So we get them off Northern into our facility. Then the first step is they have to log in. And when they log in, they have to tell us uh, what material is in their uh, truck and where it came from. So they have to describe it, give us the location where it came from, which uh, is a very good check for all concerned. And we, we log that in. We then inspect the material before it even goes down into the landfill to make sure that it's consonant with what the representation to us is. Then we do a second check when it comes down into the landfill and it's dumped. We then sort through it again. And if there's material that's not inert material and doesn't conform to our standards, we will either uh, pick it back up have the trucker pick it back up, and we'll remove it from the facility. And incidentally, it will qualify, no matter what, to go into the landfill right across the street. So that's our second check. And then we make these logs available as part of our report to the city of Peoria. So that's basically how it works. Oh, and then the truck that goes in, comes in on the eastern part of the site, goes down in, unloads, and then comes back up more to the west and comes again out on northern. No traffic on residential streets whatsoever. When does the crushing take place? I notice there's a crusher and it's located yeah. over and there's a burn. The, crushing, the crusher is uh, centered mid-location. And so uh, it's in phase six. You can see the crusher up there on your board. We, we uh, when we... We'll do two things. One, we'll dump the material where we eventually want it to be, if it's material that has to be crushed, which is a, a large part of what comes in. We like to crush it so we can get the compaction. Incidentally, we've agreed to the 85% compaction required by your staff. It will be a, a dump there, and then, uh, but most likely, it will go to the crusher site first and be crushed, and then it will be removed from the crusher site to its eventual permanent location in the landfill. Do, will all items go to the crusher? No, not, not all, but a good majority will go to the crusher. Some things don't need to be crushed. And so the, the truck that enters will go to the crusher, and that's where they'll dump their load? Yeah. And that's where it would be inspected the second time? The most... That would be the most common procedure. Not every procedure, but, but the inspection will take place on the dump for sure, no matter where it's dumped. Second inspection. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I just My didn't know how it worked. I was just wondering how they would get them in there. Thank you. Um, one of the issues I saw came up at one of the hearings was, or one of the meetings that you guys had was about dust mm -hmm. and mitigating that the dust that the trucks could you know, potentially create for the neighborhood over there. And there's no on-site water there, so where will your water trucks get yeah. their water? That, we, we had hoped to use our exempt well for the water, but now we'll have to, to take our water from the city of Peoria. Okay. okay. Um, I'm just one kind of a random question here. Is this project going to create any new jobs? Or is this going to be all existing people that are with the company now? 
Uh, that's a question that I'm going to just have to speculate somewhat on. The rest of this I've pretty well known, but um, our activity is very dependent on the economy. If there's a lot of construction and sites need to be removed, asphalt and buildings raised and the cement picked up and other things because the economy is moving, yeah, we'll create a lot of new jobs. If um, the economy doesn't pick up a lot, I'm not sure we will create that many new jobs. So I think we're somewhat dependent. We react to and respond to the, to the economy. So the number of employees that will be on site will be dependent on the work, the amount of work that comes through? That's correct. Okay, cool. Thank you. You have another yeah, um, if we go back to the you dust are, and the watering. Uh, I'd just like to say to my client, I am going to charge you a full fee tonight. I'm up <laughs> <laughs> um, the dust and the watering, because it says here, watered regularly. Um, mm -hmm. What does that mean? Um, well, we have to water enough to keep the dust under control. But remember, this is inert material. So it doesn't have a lot of dust. I mean, it's, you've heard the description of it. It's cement and that type of thing. We don't have things blowing like garbage and, and degradable uh, material. So the, the inert doesn't create a lot of dust. The only dust that will really be uh, manufactured in this operation are the trucks. And remember, they're driving down 30 feet down into the hole. And the other is the crusher. And we will have... Uh, water there available that we're constantly having to spray and control. Incidentally, we're required both by a federal standard and a state standard to control the dust on the site. And, and the city of uh, Peoria doesn't have to inspect us at all because we have to comply with a federal statute uh, to comply with the dust control. Thank you. Commissioner Spraker. Uh, one other question on, I you on had the, your share already. <laughs> no, I'm enjoying talking. <laughs> <to you. laughs> well, thank you. Um, in the on on Northern, mm -hmm. I can I can readily see their prop, uh, trucks moving from um, I think 91st Avenue heading out to the facility, then going north into your stacking uh, your stacking road. What about if this if the if the stacking is at some point in time is full? And trucks are coming from west to east, and they have to cross the the, the uh, westbound lane of Northern to go into the facility. Is there going to be any center line or center holding area in middle of Northern, so these trucks don't end up uh, if they if they've got to stop, they don't have a problem? Yeah, that's a detail we've still got to work out. Uh, we'll have to work that out with the city and the county, but that would be ideal. We would prefer that. Good point. Hey, thank you. Commissioner Loper. Mr. Chairman, a question for the applicant. Good evening, Mr. Gilbert, as well as for staff. The, um, explain to me a little bit about this exempt well, because other than a, it's rare for an editorial type stipulation to be in the stipulation, so it struck me as odd, the wording of it. Um, and other than kind of a, of, a, of a selfish reason for the city, explain to me why why we're not allowing this well or why we're trying to get rid of the well because certainly there's a water right with it for the applicant and the property owner and 
why the city isn't maybe trying to get it in its system as a backup um, or kind of what's going to go on with that well it's more of a curiosity thing I don't want to belabor the point the applicants in agreement with the stipulations but but you're giving away something that I don't know that I'd want to give away uh, we didn't um, <laughs> but kind of what happens with that and, and what's going on with the well uh, Mr. Chairman, members of the Commission, uh, thank you for uh, letting me speak. Uh, my name is Alan Delaney. I'm the Water Policy Administrator for the City. Um, and um, the, uh, the question of the exempt well, I'm very glad that your client has agreed to that stipulation. Thank you. Um, is We'd one, like to say uh, the same thing, but that's okay. <laughs> is, is really one of law. Um, Arizona law, um, Title 45, um, forbids the drilling of an exempt well uh, within um, uh, a designated provider's uh, uh, service area within about 100 feet of the lines. Uh, we also have a city code uh, in uh, chapter, chapter 25, section 2520, which requires connection with our water system, which would mean that uh, there would be no need for the exempt well. And further in the, uh, in the statutes, uh, there is a stipulation that if any part of the parcel is served with city water, no exempt well can be drilled. So um, it's, it's a matter of um, uh, being unable by law to drill a, an exempt well. There's also the question of is this proper water management? Back in 2007, the City Council passed uh, the Principles of Sound Water Management, and uh, it's, it's one of the uh, core things of the City that we uh, manage our water resources in a proper fashion. We have made great strides at great expense to uh, move away from a dependence on groundwater to replenishable supplies, and uh, we want to preserve that uh, by um, minimizing any withdrawals of groundwater within the city. Mr. Chairman, um, and, and I understand that, and, that, and that's a great policy, but that's talking about going forward and trying to do a well. But this is a well that exists, well. and you're and it, and you're apparently are getting water, not a lot of water, but you're getting water from it. We are. The, the stipulation, Again, it's an editorial type stipulation that they're in agreement with and the and staff's in agreement with, but I'm just curious, the stipulation serves no purpose. It doesn't talk about phasing it out. Is, so does it just stay, but it's not used? I mean, it's a permitted well. I guess I'm just I'm more curious about why we have a stipulation that says we don't like this, we don't encourage it, but it doesn't, it doesn't say shut it down. It doesn't say yeah. use, put it into our water system. So it's more just a curiosity on my part why, we, why we're even talking about this when we're not doing anything about it. I, th I think I can answer that if you wouldn't consider presumptuous. Please but, proceed. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just was told even though we designated as an exempt well, apparently we needed to drill or wanted to drill a new well. So much of what he said would then apply if we had to drill a new well. That clarifies it perfectly. Yet. Okay, so. thank you. That was it. But thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Any other questions by applicant uh, by the commissioners or the applicant? Thank you very much. My I pleasure. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you, Mr. Gilbert. Uh, I don't have any cards on this item, so I assume nobody on this, nobody from the public wants to speak on this item. With that, I'll close the public hearing. Um, any final comments by commissioners before we ask for a vote, Commissioner Loper? 
I, I apologize. I thought there were going to be people from the public that would speak. And again, you guys have agreed on this, but there's a stipulation here about a 30-year time limit. I always have problems with these time limits that are generational in nature. I mean, everybody's presupposing that in about 30 years this thing will be wrapped up. But, but correct me if I'm wrong, any, if, if it happens less than 30 years and somebody wants to come in and redevelop it, which is unlikely, but if they do, aren't they going to have to take action to remove the special use permit over that portion of the property? If, if an industrial developer comes in and says, I want to develop the part that gets, gets filled first. Commissioner Loper, I think if that activity takes place uh, in an accelerated fashion and, and, and the developer comes in, I think the special use overlay to accommodate the field activity would just be unnecessary at that point. So they would not have to, the, the uh, special use would not have to go away, it just would be unnecessary. But wouldn't it take some kind of city action to remove that special use permit? Because you're, 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 it's a city action to put it on the property as an overlay, so wouldn't it take a city action to remove it? Kind of looking at our attorney, and he's kind of yeah. nodding. I think, yeah, Paul, would, Loper, I think me, Paul would agree. Yeah, Commissioner Loper, since it does extend over the property, I think you were correct on that case that we would have to have to remove it. And, and again, these are things you guys have agreed on, but it would seem to me that that in a case like this, no time limit would probably be set, would probably be the best way to go because, again, if it takes 32 years, and, and none of us here are going to be discussing it at that point, but it's likely the city is going to grant it. So it seems like it should just go with the operation. And if, and if somebody needs to come in and redo it, they could, they'll have to remove it at that point anyway, whether it's 30, whether it's 29 years and 360 days or if it gets an extension, just seems like an unnecessary thing and it gives people an expectation that, oh, in 30 years this is gonna go away. And it's not gonna go away. It's gonna be there probably longer, maybe shorter, who knows, but it, but it kind of does nothing. Again, it was my question with the well and you know, it's something for you guys to work on before it goes to city council. I don't wanna mess with it now, but it just seems unnecessary. So um, I just wanted to ask that question. Otherwise, I think the applicant um, they are self-imposing a lot of things on their current operation that, that frankly, if somebody asked my advice, I would probably not have told them to go this route because they're giving up a lot of things, but I commend them on doing stuff for the neighbors, and, and that's all I have. Thank you. Any other comments from commissioners? Um, I'd just like to make a final comment. I, again, I would like to commend staff for a great report. You guys did a fantastic job. It was very, very thorough, very long. <laughs> whenever, they're, whenever they're hundreds of pages long, you really get into our personal lives. But it was very, very well done, well put together. I appreciated you guys keep it, get, giving us all the, the emails and the correspondence from the neighbors. It really, I know it helped me in, in making a, coming to, you know, into a meeting feeling like I was pretty well informed about the subject matter. Thank you very much. And Mr. Gilbert, uh, thank you for uh, representing your, your client the way you did and spending a year working on this project to hopefully end up being a good neighbor to the neighbors who, who have voiced their concerns. So well done by everybody, I think, on this project. Thank you. With that, um, we have a motion. Mr. Chairman. Commissioner Loper. I would move that we send a favorable recommendation for Z11-00037, three zeros, correct? Uh, to the City Council with the stipulations as outlined in the staff report. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, second. Commissioner Marr, thank you. We have a motion and a second. Please vote. And the item passes unanimously. Congratulations.
Welcome. Next on our agenda is a call to the public. Do we have anyone who wishes to address the commission on a nine agenda item? Seeing none, report from staff. Mr. Chair, we have no report this evening. Thank you very much. Any commissioners have anything to report? Commissioner Loper. I'm sorry, I'd like everybody looks at me. <laughs> the only thing I'd like to, to say is, are we doing anything, we being the collective, we the city, for uh, Commissioner McFarland? You know, she was chairman, now she's not on because she's moved away. Does the city typically do anything for somebody that, that, that resigns, that served an extended period of time? I mean, in terms of a formal recognition and a gift of that some sort? Yeah. A letter or anything that just says thank you for that. I, I mean, I just would like to make, as a commission, a formal acknowledgement of the time she served on it and wish her the best. She's probably not watching. I wouldn't be, but um, just the same. She served for six, now. seven years on the commission and was chairman for two years as well. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great suggestion. I can tell you at her last meeting, we all had some you know, marks we made publicly thanking her for her service, but certainly I think a letter would, would just uh, cement that, you know, thanks that we have. Thanks. Any other commissioners have any reports? Seeing none, our meeting is adjourned. Thank you.